I'm not asking you to make a sweeping change. I don't even want you to eat a piece of bread. <laughs> I just want you to eat one crumb, right? Just eat one bread crumb. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I could tolerate that. Beautiful. You like that bread crumb? Great. Take two more, right? <laughs> and then you like those? Oh, that was palatable. I could do it. Take three more. You know, so then you're, you're, you're a great dad. I can tell already. <laughs> Thank you. So you, you just build these you build this adaptive process of let's pivot, like you said, right? Let's slowly make our change. We have the goal of where we want to be, but it was created out of crisis, and that's okay. Crisis can be a great method for opportunity. How do you use an opportunity to be successful? And if you look at saying, "Oh, we got to change everything right now," it won't work for the white men. It won't work for the women. It won't work for anybody. It's just going to be painful. And any significant change over a quick period of time is going to be painful. It's just not going to be good. But it's going to be, it's going to take work. It's going to be painful. But if you do it over the course of strategic steps, implemented in a reasonable manner into every aspect of the organization that have goals tied to metrics, tied to business acumen, tied to literal, this is a dollar and cents issue. This is get you more money. And in our industry, it's so easy. Clients are asking for it. Your owners are asking for it. The GCs are asking for it because the owners are asking for it. The challenge is everybody's so used to working on not making it work. Welcome to The Critical Path with Mary and Jason, a podcast about business development, company culture, and loving the place you work just a little bit more. Today, we're talking about the role of a chief diversity officer in an organization. This is episode 59, right? And we have special guest with us, Dan Lester Sr. Uh, from Clayco. We want to hear a little bit from him. Yep. So my name is Dan Lester. I'm the director of field diversity, inclusion, and culture for Clayco Design Build. We are a, a design build firm with uh, several companies underneath one. So we got a concrete division, we have an architecture division, we have a development firm, and also our general contracting side. So we are a vertically integrated company, which allows me access to several parts of our organization to see uh, the width the depth and the breadth of how how diversity and inclusion can be included into um, into a, into an organization. Um, so, can you can you tell us just briefly what do you think the uh, the most important parts are for successfully setting up a CDO position? What do you think? If you're going to do a CDO position. Uh, you got to do some work ahead of time. Number one, like, you know, you got to do the work like your guy Jason said, right? It's about that. But the, the I think the first thing you got to realize is that you have to fully understand the breadth and the width and the, the depth of diversity and inclusion and the benefits it can have on an organization. Oftentimes, um, when I've either been headhunted or when I talk to clients or coworkers or even colleagues in these spaces, we see that diversity is very is looked at very very um, has a very minimalistic perspective, right? Uh, and and a lot of folks deal with it to solve one problem in one area. Okay, so this group, you know, a few years ago, it was the Me Too movement, right? And so let's get more women into positions of power, and let's hire more women. Or, you know, when uh, when we were looking at the um, 
looking at the gay marriage rights, LGBTQ community, right? So let's get more people, let's let's support that group. And there's a focus there. Uh, or now the conversations are steering towards black people again. No, let's get more, you know, but everything is put in these little boxes and, as, and, and it's viewed very narrowly as visual, like the visual representation of diversity and diversity will exist in any social system amongst any people because nobody has the same story twins if you know twins uh, identical if you get to know them you'll realize they're not identical at all and you can easily tell them apart once you have a relationship with them because they're completely different people even though they grew up in the same house with one of the similar times in the same they go through a lot of the same things even um, my brother they use my brothers as an example because we we were you know three i was a house of three boys and so we we all grew up they're older a couple years older than me but we all grew up same thing same parents same teaching same everything else same high schools and same preschool elementary school high we completely see the same events differently when we recall them mm -hmm. because our filters and our experiences have shaped the way we've perceived our lives so you would see people and expect that the perspectives would be the same and that's not true so diversity will exist anytime we have to create inclusion and then we have to once inclusion is created then you've got to work to to kind of uh bring it to the equity conversation which is you know and, and even get not even equality is equity it's really just uh, you know, uh, giving people what they need to be successful and when you view that as a thing and when you say well if diversity is a business it's a business strategy. If it's a business marker, you know, McKinsey and Global just a few weeks ago put out that stat, that statistic on their third report. I think they it was um, I think the title is uh, why diversity still matters or diversity still matters was their report. They've been doing this study for 10 years about those who have diversity at the highest levels uh, of their executive suites and their boards and the profitability, the profit from those comparatively to those who don't have them. Mm -hmm. And it's 36%, it keeps going up, mm -hmm. which, mean there's a, which means that there is, if it was about money, which is what we say it is in business, if it was really about money, there's your business case. Mm -hmm. So it's asking me for the business case of diversity, it's here. Mm -hmm. The challenge is there's a cost to get there, right? Mm -hmm. And so getting to a diversity and inclusion place to where diversity and inclusion is really valued and inclusion is looked at as everyone. I need to include the white male in my conversation mm -hmm. who ideally feels left out when these conversations happen, right? So right. You know, when the conversation happens, white men typically feel left out, which means they disengage. Mm -hmm. But those are the ones who are in the position of power that I need to work with to get these things accomplished. I need those that group to understand the value here and the value for them. Mm -hmm. yep. and, you know, and so that's the the place. So the first place is getting a strategy that where you look at diversity and how it's represented, not only in the visual aspect as far as that, because if I would really submit that I wouldn't even go to recruit anybody else <laughs> until you've worked and did some some work inside. Mm -hmm. Because until you've done like he like your guy said, until you've done the reading, yeah. until you've done your, until you've done some research and you've decided that this is where I'm going to make it. Interestingly enough, if you look at these roles, look at the, the, if you go to diversity roles and you search their job descriptions, you will see things like 
be willing to go and and really combat the board about this thing. It's like I'm like you really are hiring me to come in and be an adversary. Yes. Mm-hmm. As opposed to we're creating this position because we understand the business case. We understand that it can be value. We don't know how to do it, but let's bring you in so that you can help us how to do it. We know there's value in your position. I don't want to, who wants to come into a place where you have to justify your existence of where you hired me to be. If you've hired me here, I'm assuming that that's a place where you thought I would be valuable or that was a valuable position for your organization. But when you look at diversity and inclusion, most places, tie DNI to a feel good thing. And that's why they don't use it as, oh, it's kind of undervalued, it's underpaid, it's under all these things. Mm-hmm. And you say, well, why can't we keep people here or we can't afford it until that? You really need to, if you really had diversity and inclusion in the in the way that I kind of see it in the way that it should be, that role is massive. Mm-hmm. It touches every aspect of your organization mm-hmm. from your procurement to your safety and construction. You're talking about supplier diversity, you're talking about construction, safety and the fact that it doesn't matter what it is is you've got the bigger diversity issues not just race and gender in the field which is how it's measured but you start talking about apprentices and the difference between what a 50 60 year old foreman superintendent is looking at in leadership and now dealing with the 20 something 19 20 something coming into the industry what is the difference between somebody who was born after the year 2000 and how they perceive the world Mm -hmm. and what work looks like and what communication looks like Mm -hmm. as opposed to somebody who grew up in the you know grew up in night or was born in 1960 Mm -hmm. uh, you know and and how they perceive the world and and what the world was like at those times and so we're having issues with generational diversity absolutely so well, and in construction, we have a lot of language barriers too and dealing with and working with that and i i think the uh important part to pay attention to is your competition will recognize this and will make a move and will be more profitable and it's going to put you in a worse position. It's not, it's not so much a choice. It's are you going to compete or are you not? Are you going to be left in the dust or are you going to pivot and move and change in order to stay relevant? Uh, and I think that, that it's easy to miss that piece and feel like, no, we'll be fine. Well, give it a couple of years. Give it a couple more years, and and I think that uh, we'll see that change. This is true. Yeah. Uh, and I think, well, you know, I'm in an organization where, if you look at what we've been able to do from an external position, um, we've benefited. <laughs> we've benefited from that piece, right? We've benefited from the external viewpoint of our take on diversity and yep. inclusion. It looks great. And it didn't have to do, and, and, I'm, and I keep trying to tell people, I'm like, you don't have to go and save the world. Yeah. You just, I mean, just because, you know, my personal approach is small adjustments, right? If you do this thing right, I'm not asking you to make a sweeping change. Mm-hmm. I don't even want you to eat a piece of bread. <laughs> <laughs> I just want you to eat one crumb, right? Just eat mm-hmm. one bread crumb. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I could tolerate that. Beautiful. You like that breadcrumb? Great. Take two more, right? <laughs> and then you like those? That was palatable. I could do. Take three. More. You know. So then you're 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 a great dad. I can tell already. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So you you just build these strong. You build this adaptive process of let's pivot, like you said, right? Let's slowly make our change. We have the goal of where we want to be. 
but it was created out of crisis. And that's okay, crisis can be a great method for opportunity. Mm -hmm. but how do you use that opportunity to be successful? And if you look at saying, oh, we gotta change everything right now, it won't work for the white men, it won't work for the women, it won't work for anybody. It's just mm -hmm. gonna be painful. And any significant change over a quick period of time is going to be painful. Mm -hmm. It's just not gonna be good. But it's gonna be it's gonna take work, it's gonna be painful, but if you do it over the course of strategic steps, implemented in a reasonable manner into every aspect of the organization that have goals tied to metrics, tied to mm -hmm. business acumen, tied to literal, this is a dollar and cents issue. Mm -hmm. This will get you more money. And in our industry, it's so easy. Clients are asking for it. Mm -hmm. Your owners are asking for it. The GCs are asking for it because the owners are asking for it. The challenge is everybody's so used to working on not making it work. I didn't talk about this. They told me to come in there and they said I could I could say the real things. I said I can be real. They like, we want you to be real. I said, How real do you want me to be? <laughs> I love it. And they were like, Well, they were like, I want you to be real, real. I said, Okay. Yeah. And so we did a conversation and in that conversation I talked about how I have seen organizations do a whole lot just to not meet the goal, right? You spend more time trying to find a reason that someone's not qualified or the reason that this contractor won't work, mm -hmm. even though you have a contractual obligation to meet these standards, especially in your federal contracts mm -hmm. and in your uh, TIF funding, your tax funding mm -hmm. dollars. You have, you know, CB, you know, the community benefits agreement. You've got all these things that you have to do mm -hmm. to receive that money and provide your good faith effort. That's what everybody's been hiding behind is this effort. I tried, you know what? I tried to work with this this woman-owned firm and she just didn't have it. She didn't have the money. She didn't have this, she didn't have that. And these are the things that have been the stories that we've been talking about for years mm -hmm. and years and years. And now what you're starting to see is that, hey, uh, I was just on a call yesterday with an owner mm -hmm. doing this kind of, and it's really, it's really uh, refreshing to hear where you before in the pre-meeting, we're calling it out. The owner said, listen, we don't want diversity. We don't want participation for participation's sake. Mm -hmm. I want you to work to meet these goals. I don't want you to give somebody a contract and that's too large for them that's gonna make them go out of business. Yeah. I want you to give somebody a contract that's so small that it's irrelevant to the, the whole piece and to their business. Mm -hmm. And so it's just going to do it do something that has strategy involved with it. And this is an owner that doesn't have goals or that doesn't have, um, they're a private owner. Mm -hmm. And so they can do whatever they want. They don't have to do anything, but they're saying, hey, you're going to try to follow the rules that the city has put in place. We'd like you to help us get there. Mm -hmm. And these are the things that we expect. And here's what we don't want. We don't want any basically fraudulent or the kind of the pass through activities that we've seen before, mm -hmm. but let's really make to make it a big difference. And if we do that, everybody wins because guess what? As a contractor, I'm gonna tell them like, if you're a contractor and you do a little bit, you can get so much traction publicly from that. Mm -hmm. The community will give that love and reciprocate that love back to you. Mm -hmm. The 
clients will say, wow, I can hire you and you won't cause me any problems, but you'll give me great press yeah. and you can do the job. Yeah. Wonderful. And I get to help people. Like there are so many good things. And if you start doing that, and, and I think another thing that we struggle with in construction is the engagement mm -hmm. of employees mm -hmm. um, outside of the work. The job is the boss, mm -hmm. but how do we engage with individuals to make sure? Yeah. So we've started looking at some of the psychological safety for our field mm -hmm. and the mental health awareness dealing with the suicide prevention. But the things that you look at when you start messing with, or when you start addressing uh, mental health awareness or suicide prevention, mm -hmm. it's the psychological safety, right? Being able to say what I need to say, bring up issues. If you have a safety concern, everybody knows that money's tied to safety. Mm -hmm. But if I'm not mentally present because something happened to me there, yep. Somebody said, or I walked into the Johnny and I saw something written, mm -hmm. whatever. You know, even women having to walk into John to, mm -hmm. to these uh porta potties and uh and having to see deal or having a different environment, you know, it's just how do you expect somebody to feel like they're not they're gonna be present after they've seen something mm -hmm. or they were in an environment that wasn't comfortable for them and then we've got to start addressing that and how are they gonna then come back and focus on the task at hand that's already a, a, a very um, chaotic and dangerous environment that we really have to be intentional about our safety but how do we do that and make sure that if I'm thinking other places, I can't be fully focused on this task and then the, the factors around me because I'm focused on what Jeff, what I just saw that really bothered me and now I'm not producing effectively. Now I'm not working as hard. Now I'm becoming more of a safety concern and a risk. And all of those things push me closer to the door. Um, when if I'm if I'm a per, you know, if whoever I am, if I'm a person of color, if I'm a woman, mm -hmm. somebody in the LGBT community, I'm pushed closer to the door because now I'm not a team player. Now I'm just engaged. Now I'm not safe. Now I'm not all of these things. And it stemmed from the fact that that person didn't have the safety to say, hey, there's something I don't really think is good in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. And when they say it, they're not retaliated against. Mm -hmm. but the yeah. So I've got, a tan, I've got a tangential question for you. Uh, we, we host a weekly uh, construction peer group where we, we talk with all sorts of folks and they bring their construction problems and, and we kind of help them sort through that. We spoke with a woman yesterday and she runs a cleaning company. So she's a black woman uh, with uh, mostly black, mostly female uh, workers. She does have a Hispanic woman and I think one one white guy. Yep. And uh, she said that, that, that they're having challenges going on to job sites, so they're effectively a subcontractor, going on to job sites, and internally, they're talking about race within their staff, uh, on the job site, while they're working. And then when they're on the job site, there are other people coming and going mm -hmm. who are often saying things to them, uh, and it's not so much that they're throwing insults, it's mm -hmm. more that these people coming onto the site are trying to start conversations mm -hmm. about how these women feel about, you know, Seattle, We've been in the national news a lot, and there's a lot of conversation here. And in a lot of cases, those black cleaning folks are the only black people on that job site for the entire length of the job site. So uh, then you'll you'll see this black woman. You're like, I want to talk to you about race, you know. And and the the question from the the business owner was, 
what do I, how do I steer this to, so I make sure I manage the HR concern, but I, I make sure that their health is looked after? Yeah, and she said these conversations on a lot of cases, they're getting kind of contentious and they turn into these big, loud arguments. And it's hard for her because on the one hand, she doesn't want that to happen for her business. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, she doesn't want to tell her team members, you don't just don't engage with people about it because they're going through something and they're having feelings. So what kind of thoughts do you have about that scenario? If if you're the business owner, what do you do? Mm. It's a tough one, right? (laughs) Mm. Yeah, because um, as a subcontractor, you only really have control over your crew, right? So it's very hard to and as a minority woman owns of a you 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 know you you <laughs> so 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 what's your what's your real answer what's your I, I, I want your real answer the real answer is it has to come from the general contractor whoever site that is that's number one well, so, so what, what is, she's looking for more is what should she tell her crew mm-hmm. i what well, how does how does she advise how does she direct? Okay, great question. Okay, yeah. so let me, yeah. okay, I think I got it. So I think in those situations, you've got to find a way to, to well, your crew has to be aware of a couple of things. And it's really a difficult conversation because uh, you're asking people who have already been through a lot to go through more yes. and, and, and adjust and adapt even more. Um, but if those conversations are coming, number one, really got to work on it's a positive thing that folks want to have the conversation. That's, let's start there. So let's Mm -hmm. say, yay. The challenge comes with number one, I gotta get this work done. Number two, um, when when it, oftentimes the the other group is making it about themselves, right? Like you're, you're, sometimes folks are asking questions only to, to validate what they think, or they're not really asking for understanding, they're asking so that they can can debate Mm -hmm. and find, level of you know whatever they're trying to say and it's not a positive uh, they don't have the right intentions so the things are i think even oftentimes we're seeing this right now with this whole cancel culture that's going on right now right where when i i had to tell my colleagues i'm in this like these groups i'm in my leadership cohorts and even anybody who i can find listen we have to allow people to be we have to be gracious to people who want to enter this space we cannot I can't invite you to come in and say, I want you to be over here. And then when you come in, you don't know, you're not up to speed, so you're running slow. I can't tell you, hey man, you're running too slow, and I get and I make fun of you for running slow. I just can't do that. You're not in shape. Sure. You gotta, but, you gotta get in shape. But I but right? I think one of the, the first things is is to verify is is this going to be a productive conversation or not? Are they trying to be productive or are they trying to be destructive? How do you how do you evaluate? I can't, I can't. Well, and you're asking not just you to evaluate that, but your team Mm -hmm. to be able to evaluate that. And that's not the skill that you hired them for. (laughs) They're cleaners. That's what what I'm saying. Like, you can't really, it's, she would really, I mean, I don't know. All she, all all this owner can do is really try to educate her staff on ways to have empathetic responses Mm -hmm. and say, hey, I understand that's where you're coming from. I don't necessarily see it that way. Here are some things maybe that you can look at, or here's somewhere you can maybe find some more information. Mm-hmm. Um, 
or this is not the right place. I'd love to have this conversation with you offline or mm -hmm. something like that, where you say, man, I'm glad you want to, you know, really say, hey, mm -hmm. I think it's great that you want to engage in this conversation. We are not going to fix history right now. So what we can do is, you know, hey, I think that's great, you know, but because what happens is, is I even felt, I've even struggled with this myself and I'm working it and I've, I've had some exchanges I wasn't necessarily happy, as happy with as I could have been. Yeah. Just because, you know, you don't necessarily realize how things are impacting you. Um, and I certainly wasn't aware how some of the things that I saw uh, with George Floyd, I didn't even watch the whole thing. I just saw piss. I, I did only needed to see a little bit. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and and then Ahmaud Arbery and all these other, I was just like, you know, I didn't realize how much those things were weighing on me until I, you know, and I'm in these conversations. And so, and if I'm in front of a group, it's a, it's not a problem because I can set the stage. I can set the framework. I can make it nice and light and easy and we can work through this. I've got a whole process for that. Yeah. <laughs> When we're in the personal one-to-one -one and I'm working, it's, it's a little bit tougher because we haven't established that groundwork. We haven't established that framework. And I had some negative exchanges. It wasn't negative, but it became possibly contentious because the other person made it about them and I'm making it about me. And I'm like, so I'm struggling and you want me to help you uh, move forward. And I'm being asked to help you kind of craft something that's going to be right now socially uh, to craft something that's fitting the proper social narrative right now. Mm -hmm. uh, so if we're going to be able to do it, let's do it so that, you know, the, the, the benefit of having people in diversity is that when things are this way, you can ask. That's why you're more profitable because yep. you bunch Someone of people who are illuminating those blind spots that we don't have mm -hmm. and saying, oh wait, you know, if somebody at H&M would have told them putting out a shirt that says coolest monkey in the jungle on a black kid is probably not the best thing to do. Yeah. That's it. There is no one there to even recognize that that was a problem. You got, I mean, I mean, you got to, you got to, you got to include people. And if you have people, they have to be, you have to include them. And if you include them, you've got to create the psychologically safe culture that when you ask somebody for their feedback, you have to trust and know that their feedback is the truth. So don't ask me for my feedback. Number one, if you haven't created an environment that's safe enough for me to give you the truth, if you mm -hmm. want the truth. Two, if I do give you the truth, make sure you look at working on what that is. Because not even not not even just from minority perspective, but from a generational perspective, you know, uh, the younger millenn millennials and underneath that we won't expect that that's going to be something. There's, there's going to be something. There has to be something done here. Mm -hmm. If you're going to ask me a question and you're going to ask me, how are you feeling? Do you really want to know? Because I, I had somebody challenge me. They said, if I, if, you say, how you doing? Right. What do you say if somebody says terrible? Mm -hmm. Like, are you really willing to spend that time and and be and and, and, and unload and, and, yeah. un, and unpack that? Yep. That means, hey, let's let's unpack that. Yeah. But when I'm asking you, I'm really not asking you how you're doing. I'm just giving some salutations. Mm -hmm. yep. Hey, everybody, how's it going? I don't really care how it's going, but how's it going? It's, yeah. it's, it's rhetorical. Yeah, yeah, so it's not real. But if somebody, if you're asking folks, and I think that's just got to be a place where it, it's tough because the culture has to be created and the, and the frame, and you can't create it. And especially even more tough in the field because sometimes the social development of individuals has stopped at high school mm -hmm. and how much has it and they and they went straight into a culture let's say if they stopped at high school they went straight into the trades or have had somebody there 
that culture reinforces this kind of immature uh, social structure mm-hmm. as opposed to it doesn't even matter I mean, you don't even have to go to college but that you've gone to other spaces that have had different levels of social kind of a development and you've had to adjust and there these things were not even though they weren't what's the word they weren't necessarily like diversity conversations but just the thing of what it means to be polite um, how to listen, doing other skills that you may have to learn or that knowing that there's other people around or considering other narratives or just not being mean and grouchy with everybody and expecting them to want to do something for you. I mean, realizing that you're going to get you're going to get more bees with honey. You know what I mean? You're going to you're going to draw more with honey than than with venom. Right. So if you if you're if you're being uh, and I think that's a tough thing for the hardcore, you know, rah, 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 I'm in the, I'm the man and I, you know, you're going to do what I say do and you got to pay the price. I did it this way. You got to do it. I'm like, yeah, but is there a better way? Well, right. But I, but I think you see that reality in construction more than almost any other industry. Well, Absolutely. so another big question that we're having, a conversation we're having a lot is, so let's say you have an organization and we know many mm-hmm. that is very homogenous, like white, straight men who are all say 30 to 60 years old mm-hmm. and you it's, want it's like 90 percent of construction in seattle and you want to start bringing some different faces in you know and when we were talking with jason jones you know he kept saying well if you're going to start hiring laborers who look different you have to make sure your environment is ready for them that, like you said that they're not going to show up and, and be in this 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 environment that's tough like that. Mm-hmm. And our argument is maybe if you start that higher on the chain, if you have someone that you bring into your leadership team that looks and is different, and then from there you start getting some project managers that look and are different, so that by the time you get to those laborers coming in, they have someone they can look at further up the chain and, and someone they can go to who might be experiencing some of that same stuff. So in that conversation about starting from the bottom up, starting from being a laborer and then hopefully promoting those people as opposed to bringing someone into your leadership team who looks and is different. What are your thoughts on top down versus bottom up in terms of trying to make that change start? That's a, that is a, um, that's a double folded question. (laughs) Um, So bottom up is kind of in construction. It's different because the bottom up, is a great place. It's a comfortable place for people to start because when you are a laborer and apprentice, you have no control, you're a pup, whatever the case may be. And it's easy because you can control that. It should be the reason. A lot of companies want to home grow, which I think is a great place, but you cannot home grow all of your leadership if nobody's already in the pipeline. That's what you're saying. There so, is no pipeline. <laughs> yeah, there is nothing. So you've got to create a pipeline. I think the, the DNI conversation is about intentionality. So, um, it's not affirmative action, it's intentionality, mm-hmm. which means if I wanna be successful in this group, I'm gonna hire the right person that can give me some of everything, and they do exist. And you gotta be willing to put some some resources there. And the resource is not just the hiring of the individual, mm-hmm. right? Because I think a lot of companies, like you mentioned earlier at the beginning, don't feel like they have the money to even get one of those or somebody in that position. This individual doesn't have to be the diversity person, but it's somebody that's really, a matter of fact, I'd rather it not be because I'd rather them be a project manager, somebody who really has a control over the project site because if I'm the project, who's responsible for what happens on the job? The project manager and the superintendent. Those are the two major people on that project, which means if your project manager 
or your superintendent is a person of color and they've been it doesn't matter what they if they're a person of color then or in a minority group that individual has the responsibility for that site when i talk to one of our black superintendents here one of the only ones that we have we've got a lot of assistant superintendents that were in the pipeline mm -hmm. but he's been here for about 16 years at the very end of his career he's owned his own business and all these things he's amazing phenomenal he's got i mean when you talk about somebody who has all the things you need mm -hmm. to help people out he's a country boy so he's got that groove and he can he can integrate with those country bump he wear cowboy boots he's older he's taller he's got the stature he's got the presence he's a black dude and he understands all the aspects of this place of this industry and he's and he's like reasonable and sensible and can say on the positive side of the day, you're not going to get it that way here's the way you can get that done <laughs> you know he's like even though he's a soup, he's like, but on my site, whenever I see it, I control that. He yeah. says, so they didn't, have, I don't have too many of those issues on my site because when I have an issue, I address it head on mm -hmm. and we deal with it immediately and we get rid of it. That can happen anywhere. Doesn't have to be the person of color to do that. Mm -hmm. It happens now if you have people of color in the right positions that it helps other people know they can aspire there. And especially if those people are empowered, what companies see is that they'll hire the person and they won't be able to retain them past three years. Mm -hmm. And the reason is because they haven't created, or like we talked about earlier, they haven't prepared their house. Mm -hmm. If you want a visitor to come, not even a visitor, if you want me to come live with you, mm -hmm. I need a room, I need a bathroom, I prefer to have my, you know, I want all the things that I should have as a as an adult in a household or whatever i want to have the same cultures and comforts that everybody else has it needs to and not I, feel weird when you go to the kitchen to get something to eat right it needs to feel like home you want to feel like there's a culture that you are that hey number one i want to be here and i feel like the comp and the organization or the culture i'm in wants me here mm -hmm. even though you know it's different and not and, and it sometimes it can feel like a patronizing thing oh that's great and 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 oh that's great that you're here and mm -hmm. you know you know and that, that's not the work this is we hiring is not the work mm -hmm. you know the work is we got to start breaking and dismantling some of these structures and re and rearranging them mm -hmm. so that we can be profitable for the next wave which is what you talked about earlier was the profitability and going in there, but getting people in those leadership roles is gonna give you that profitability. When I was interviewing, um, I was contacted for the job. There wasn't really a, there wasn't even a role here. Um, when I came into our concrete division, when I was contacted, the first thing I asked them, and, and, and I didn't know what I didn't know, I didn't really know much about construction at the time, but I asked, who do you have that is a person of color in leadership? And they were like, nobody. I said, that's your first problem right there. <laughs> yep. Yeah. You're not going to be able to hold anybody. If you bring a leader into the conversation, mm -hmm. um, number one, they need to feel, it's just everybody has these needs to be heard, be understood, to be respected and feel valued. If those things are present, you won't have any problem. I care less about my color. I, I think I think women or anybody who deals on that gender spectrum feels less about their gender is less important. My my sexuality is less important. Mm -hmm. If you can hear me and if you can receive me, the challenge is when you don't receive me, 
bring me to the workplace, now you're getting a shell of my personage. You're getting the you're getting my representative, right? Mm-hmm. And you don't necessarily want my representative may not be the best version of myself, right? Mm-hmm. My representative is a shell. But if you if you cut my representative's head off, if you beaten up my representative, you definitely am not gonna bring my full self there. Mm-hmm. And if people not well you shouldn't bring your full self virtually in the workplace, but if you want to say, I want to bring the best version of myself relevant for the business, mm-hmm. if that best version, a lot of what makes what makes the value of diversity relevant is the differences that we bring mm-hmm. and the of experiences from different pathways, from a different walks of life, from a minority perspective, mm-hmm. it brings you something like, hey, don't use this picture for that. It would get perceived like this. Use this picture mm-hmm. for this conversation as opposed to let's use that one for the trades for the trades picture as opposed to for the mentoring picture. For the mentoring picture, this might be a little bit better to use. Oh, I never thought about it like that. And then, but if you if that person gives you that feedback, and then you don't value it, then and then you and you may not know that it, and because you, you may not see it you may not know that that's the thing that the client but somebody may be on your client team which is interesting now because sometimes when you're walking into these interviews from a general side when you're walking into interviews trying to get a job they're now they, some of these owners have people in position they've got women in those conversations they've got minorities in those conversations who are there to look for those things and they're going to ask you those questions wait a minute Time out. I heard you say something about your diversity, your diversity program. Tell me how you do that. Or don't just tell me you're going to bring 20 percent, 25 percent minority on this job. Who do you know? Do you have 25 percent in your company? Like asking that second mm-hmm. question yeah. that the other company never thought. I didn't think about. No, you can't just go out here and just say whatever you want just to get the contract. Mm-hmm. And then when you get the contract, you don't perform because the money's already exchanged hands and mm-hmm. that, that, that. No, it's becoming a place where when you include people, basically it comes down to human value. When you value the people, I don't know why anybody would not want the folks that they hire to be as successful as they can. Mm -hmm. You want all of your people working as efficiently and as effectively as they possibly can. And so that means your minorities, whatever other, anybody from a different language barrier, from a different gender, from different religions, you want all those people to bring their versions of themselves, to bring the richness of that into a culture, but you want them to also feel the nurturing mm-hmm. of the culture of the environment that teaches you how we do things, whatever the company's way is. This is the way we do it. Mm-hmm. The way we do it is we value the perspectives of other people. And if you don't, you got to be willing to um, cut the tie. I mean, like, that's part of the challenge is because... Yep. Sometimes somebody has been so valuable to your organization over the course of so many years that it can be difficult to say if some if this happens, I got to cut ties with this individual yeah. because mm-hmm. they answer this to my organization. Mm-hmm. And I don't think a lot of folks are really ready to have that because good help is hard to find. Yes. And, and change is hard and construction is particularly bad at deciding to change something. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think another challenge is so there are environments that are unwelcoming, that are, are pushing against those people. But another thing that we see a lot, I think, here in Seattle is just the element of ignorance mm-hmm. where so there's a construction company. Everyone in leadership is from the same family. So it's the father, it's the son, it's the brothers, mm-hmm. and they all look the same and they all think the same. And then their people all look the same and think the same. And 
they don't know any black people. I mean, obviously, hopefully they know women, but they don't know black people. They don't know Hispanic people. They don't know gay people. Mm -hmm. So then when it comes to what do I do? You know, they're like, well, I'm just, these people aren't applying. I'm just Mm -hmm. not hiring these people. What do they, how do they make those people welcome? And they can't, even if they want to think about how to make people feel welcome, they just don't know how because they don't know anyone who looks different from them. And I think oftentimes you'll see that they're, they're reliving the same bad habits that their fathers and their grandfathers have given them. And it's this this terrible uh, cyclical legacy that and, that they just can't break out of. And the hard part is, so then you go and you hire someone in. You say, okay, well, we're just going to bring some different faces in because that's what we need to do. But then that person has to carry that burden of being the educator for everyone. And even if they don't push back and resist, even if it's just their privilege and they're not seeing things, that's still exhausting. That's emotional labor. Like they need to get paid for that emotional labor of being everyone's black friend, right? And Jason Jones said, I don't know how people have your job. I don't know how people do what you do. That has to be so exhausting, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. It makes you not only, you not only take it at work, but it's your life, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, I, I got off a call just kind of right before this one where um, it's your life. I was just talking about how, you know, it's not just I have to deal with this when I go home and what I'm teaching my toddlers and how they're going to deal with it, even about that. And then I got to deal with it, looking at it. My family's talking about it. People on social, I have kind of stopped looking at social media for a while. I can't even turn it on. My wife loves it though. So I got to hear her. She's like, Hey, did you see this? I'm like, I don't want to hear any of that. Like, yeah. it's, I got to go to work tomorrow. I got to get up and go to work and I got to try to be effective. Yeah. And if I'm trying to be effective, then I can't inundate myself with all these negative things or that I perceive negatively as the challenges and as the weight and it's emotionally taxing. And then I got to come in and be emotionally taxed with the work that I'm challenged to do or charged to do here at the place. Mm -hmm. So it becomes a double cycle of kind of like, wow, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. It's awesome. I'm like, wow, you just, you, 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 you got to struggle there. What things an organization can try to do is look at the, I'd say they would address the culture. That's why we deal with psychological safety. You bring that environment, but you've got to address the cultural aspects of it. If you want somebody to come in there, you go go engage a group that's local. I promise you, if they went to the local urban league or NAACP or whoever the case may be, uh, and or whoever there's 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 training organizations everywhere. You go to somebody and say, listen, this is what I want to do. And I'm willing, like, what do I need to do? The first thing they're going to tell you is you need to educate your staff Mm -hmm. and deal with the culture that you're looking at and have a culture that's inviting in general. Don't, nobody wants to work in construction, period. (laughs) That's your first problem. (laughs) You already got a problem before you start. Mm -hmm. I got to go work in the hot. Maybe it don't, it doesn't get too hot in Seattle, but it gets wet. I got to work in the hot, the cold and the wet. I got to work. It's hard work, period. Confined spaces, underground. Hot, high up. And then you're telling me it's it's, it's a very stressful environment and it's a very dangerous environment. Mm -hmm. And you're telling me that y'all commit suicide at the highest rates and you got the highest overdose rates on opioids and you're the fourth most dangerous industry. You are already struggling with with how you're going to compete in this say, day and age. So if you want me, you want people to come, you got to make it look better. So the, some of the stuff that the uh, 
BYF is doing, like, you know, uh, BYF.org, build your future. So BYF.org does a lot of these educational resources that I'm trying to get people in and, and make construction look cool. And this is my workplace and, you know, kind of making, changing the face from old and white to young and colorful and white, black, other, and just seeing all types of faces represented because just the marketing of it. Mm -hmm. And then you just gotta be intentional and go into the communities and say, if they folks, I mean, look, everywhere I know, people I know are always looking for work. Mm -hmm. The challenge is we're not necessarily willing to accept those individuals where they are. Mm -hmm. And so if somebody wants to be in our industry and you telling me they want to be here, we look at it. I think a lot of times we look at ways to disqualify them mm -hmm. as to why they can't be successful. But, but I think in, in a lot of situations, there's just a blindness that happens. Uh, so there's a, a book called Invisible Women. And the idea is how the whole world that we know was built for men, was built for middle-aged men. Uh, things like uh, safety belts, uh, safety gear, uh, you know, crash dummies, anything that you can think of was typically built for, for men. Uh, and so just the, the physical differences mean that half of the world doesn't work for half of the population. So in, in that book, they talk about the idea, if you're going to, if you're trying to improve diversity, one of the major things that you can do is when you're looking to hire, say, uh, rather than just saying, do you know any people who would be good project management candidates? If you were to say, do you know any women who would be good candidates? Do you know any black folks who would be good candidates? Do you know any brown folks who would be good candidates? And what and the study found is that the people that were being referred through those questions were just as capable as the people getting referred when you just said, do you know any good PMs? They weren't thinking through and then recommending a less qualified black person or woman. They were still only coming up with recommendations if they knew someone who was capable, but they just would never have thought of those people unless you put that into the question. But there's this pre-filter that happens that when we're asked for a project manager and we look around and everyone is a white male project manager, we fill in the gap and we say, oh, you're looking for a white male project manager. And then you only think of those people. Uh, so little changes like that can have a huge impact. Absolutely. Can you imagine if you said the same thing, right? What you're looking for, but I think what we have to also see when that question is asked is again, if you ask me to recommend you somebody, let me let's just pretend that that my I'm a recruiter and my and my and my bonus is tied to who I can get through the system. Mm -hmm. And if I know that it's gonna be harder to get black and brown folks into this system, but I anybody who's on the white side, I can get them in very easily. Mm -hmm. So who are they gonna go? Just because I'm black and brown or whatever the case may be, doesn't mean that I'm gonna recommend. Or mm -hmm. do they trust and if am I having the greatest am I having a good enough experience at your organization to say I want to invite my friends to come over here. Mm -hmm. I say, if you really ask some of your people, mm -hmm. you'll wonder why you're not getting those recommendations. Mm -hmm. um, because oftentimes, or when you start the conversation with, hey, do you have anybody that you know that's black and wants to be in this, this, or that's a wee woman? But now remember, we won't sacrifice quality. Mm -hmm. What, what, when did, when, I hate that, I mean, I hate that term. When, when would we yeah. ever sacrifice quality? Would you, why would 
I am a black man in America. You don't <laughs> think I understand how you have to be in toe a line. And if you think that I, I'm already afraid that anybody I recommend, mm -hmm. they have to meet a standard that is because it's my name is tied to it in my mm -hmm. workplace where I may be in a fortunate enough place where a lot of people are not. So mm -hmm. if I'm going to recommend you somebody, you best believe if I'm happy where I am, I'm going to recommend you the best person that I know that could be good for this job. Absolutely. There is a there is a industry. <laughs> There's someone yeah, who complimented Fred Astaire, you know, Fred Astaire, yeah. old, old white movie actor. And he said, oh, you dance so beautifully, blah, blah, blah. And he said, yeah, but Ginger Rogers did everything I did, but backwards and in high heels. So where, where's the real talent at? Right. It's better. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and so you get that, that if, if you want to, to participate, you have to be twice as good. The quality has to be twice as on point. And so to even bring up qualities, it's crazy. Yeah. It's like, but it, and even the perception of, okay, well, in the field, this happens a lot. Mm -hmm. Somebody will say, um, oh, that, that guy's just no good. Is there a reason why they're no good? Based, no based on what? Because they're black. Yeah. Or, well, because uh, I couldn't hear what they were saying. Um, they were mumbling. I said, okay, did you tell them to speak up? Mm -hmm. You know, like, I mean, the things that all I'm going to do is go tell them, hey, man, can you just talk a little louder, make sure they can hear you out here? And I'll tie it to some things that I know that might be working against them. But it's to say, I'm like, look, just tell people, look, man, I need you to talk louder. It's loud out here. Safety concerns. Just speak up so we can hear you. Yeah. So if I can't hear you, then, then, then who knows what tragedies could happen. So speak as loud as you can and make sure we can understand what you're saying. But that can't be the case. Language could not be the barrier because if it was, there is plenty of people that speak no English. Mm -hmm. Yep. On our jobs. Mm -hmm. Yep. Without anybody else who's a translator. Yep. Well, yeah, and we have that issue come up even without regard to diversity where uh, people will say, we, we do a lot of teaching, training of people, and we'll get leadership at the companies and they'll say stuff like, well, you don't know my guys. My guys are, they're not going to learn say, anything. My guys are pieces of shit. And that's what they'll say about their own people. I'm like, and why are they working there? So the, the question we have is, what if you went to a school conference mm -hmm. and the teacher said to so, you... So uh, what are the names of your kids? You have toddlers too? Dane and Leyland. So Dane and Leyland. So you go to Dane and Leyland's first parent-teacher conference. And the teacher's like, your kid's a piece of crap. They're not going to learn anything. Sorry sorry to tell you this, Dan, but your your kids, they're just garbage. We should just give up now. You're going to go over that table because that's not an appropriate way for a teacher to talk about a kid. So now we think these kids grow up into adults and now it's okay and acceptable for us to just say they're pieces of crap, even though we haven't tried to teach them. We haven't given them any, any resources or education or feedback or anything. We're just going to say they're all just unredeemable. Like, that's not okay. And we, we say that... Uh the only difference between employees and kids are that kids are harder to fire. And then we say that all the time. And one day Jason said that and our 14 year old is standing in the room and he goes, yeah, well, it's pretty hard to quit too, dad. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> right. But, I, but I think a lot of people give up too easy. Uh, and, and I always prefer to work with, with the people who are the discards, are the, the people who people threw out. Because if you get through to them and you turn them around, they will be there for you, hell or high water. And, I, and, I, and, I, and to your point, I also, I mean, sometimes it's again, as the, as the diversity person, you're asked to be the one that institutes this. I'm like, look, they've already heard these things from people that look like me. Mm -hmm. They not, 
So I can tell you what to say. Well, you need to say it. No, you need to say it first. If you say it and it's valuable to you, that's what's happening right now. That's why everybody's saying, I need you to say what I need you to say it. I need you to be intentional about what you say and say this is valuable to you. And if you're willing to say it today, then I can help because it's a, if it's a value for you, then if it's valuable, you measure what you value. Mm-hmm. You track what you value. You track what's important. We track safety. We track hours. We track job costs. We track all those things that are important to us. If it's important to you, look at the cost of human capital. I hate to look at it like that, mm-hmm. but look at what the cost is. How much does it find, cost you to find a new laborer? Mm-hmm. A good one. Mm-hmm. How much does it cost you to find this? And that's just unskilled. Mm-hmm. How does it get you to find somebody who's in a skilled trade, a carpenter, a plumber, a pipe fitter, a steam fitter, whatever the case may be, to do all of these very, uh, very highly skilled jobs, and 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 then you don't want to do it. So if you go out there and say this is important to me, kind of what NASCAR did, mm-hmm. like you only got one guy, mm-hmm. the group with only one dude in the whole thing. They got pit crew people, but one dude mm-hmm. did the entire. They did everything right. I said, who did NASCAR mm-hmm. contact? Mm-hmm. Did they, I'm like, who was their, their, their consultant? Do they, mm-hmm. I was like, oh my God. In the NFL did it, mm-hmm. NBA. Not all these people that are predominantly black, or predominantly black benefited talent mm-hmm. didn't do, I'm like NASCAR of all places in a place where you're going to get the biggest pushback and the biggest challenge. Yeah. They stepped up and said, this is it. This is where we are. And if you don't like it, and go pound sand. Yeah. Yeah. And at the end of the day, they're like, oh, really? Like, yeah, really. And then. <laughs> so like, good. See, I think, like, I think, Dan, you should just be the, the voice of NASCAR. <laughs> they should just hire you. You'd be like, no, I'm NASCAR. Oh, I'm speaking for NASCAR. That would be an exhausting that would, job. That would, yeah. Yeah. I, I, be like, you can go pound sand if you don't like it. Yeah. I mean, but, I mean, but, but I can't say that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. NASCAR has to say. Yeah. You yes. know, like they said, hey, I, we had to look up who you were, sir. Who are you? It's yeah. good rent to you if you don't want to come over here for something that's reasonable. Yeah. And you know, and 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 we won't even talk. I won't even get on my 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 Confederate kick today. So, um, but you know, all it is is that I, if when people are valued, when people feel like they have respect, mm-hmm. and even in, in, in anything, it's not going to be easy when you make that transition. So I have to tell, even I had to tell my friends during this time who started engaging in these difficult conversations with my white friends, mm-hmm. engaging in these difficult conversations with some of their counterparts, their white counterparts, I said, hey, you got to be willing to, to, to understand there is a cost associated with this. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? I said, you're going to pay a social cost. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. going to be some questions. There's going to be some pushback. Yeah. It's not, everybody's not going to be happy that you're saying these things mm-hmm. because they haven't been on the same pathway or had the same exposure as you have. Mm-hmm. So you have to be just as gracious as I was with you yeah. over the last six years. One of my friends, six years ago when the Mike Brown thing, and I'm in St. Louis, so that was right here in our hometown. Yeah. When stuff came down, when Mike Brown and the Back Miles Matter started, me and him had this conversation and it was very contentious. He left, he walked out and left. The whole, he just left and just didn't call me for like days. Was a white friend? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now his challenge was different because again, this is why this is why stories are important. Mm-hmm. He was struggling with the privilege conversation mm-hmm. because for him, he grew up in Hawaii, 
And in Hawaii, he was a minority. Mm -hmm. And in Hawaii, he was treated poorly because he was white. Mm -hmm. So he was like, and so he didn't come to the mainland and to college until he was in, in college. So he was like, for all of his formative years, he was the minority. He was the kid getting diverted, getting the issues and having some of the same stories. I said, well, if that's the case, you should definitely understand the plight of this group here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I'm just saying I don't know about white privilege. I don't have I don't have money. I said that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Well, m- but, money is just one part, right? Because money, it, by all intents and purposes, my parents had uh, enough of it to send us to college. They had enough of it to give us cars when we were 16. We had enough of it to get some of the nicer things in life. So that still didn't matter. My dad was still underpaid comparatively mm-hmm. to his counterparts. Yep. My dad, we still had these. My dad retired because his health was in challenge. He was had ulcers in his stomach. At the end of his career, he was being attacked, even though he had proven himself there for 30 years. Mm-hmm. It is another situation in a conversation. So. Now, fast forward to when this thing went down, the same guy who we've been having conversations over the course of these years, slowly but surely. So now when this happened, he called me, he sent me a little emoji out face. I'm like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I'm like, what's wrong with you? He's like, this is bothering me. I'm like, this is bothering you? Like, okay. He's like, I don't know what to do. I said, he's like, what can I do? I said, man, I said, you just need to go and I said, you need to just go. I said, go out. Just go and just go figure it out. I said, go be amongst the people. Mm-hmm. And then next thing, matter of fact, he told me, I told him, I said, you need to talk to your friends. He said, I don't know what to say. I said, you need to talk to your friends. Mm-hmm. I said, I don't need you to tell me how you feel. I don't need you to tell me that you're sorry. I need you to go talk to your friends. Mm-hmm. You can talk to, talk to your dad. His dad's a very powerful man. I said, talk to people like your father and then, you know, and, and because it's difficult for a father to have that negativity coming from their children, mm-hmm. because and you care about what your kids think. You can imagine that, right? Oh, yeah. Like, I don't want to deal with you anymore. That would hurt your entire being. You'd be like, man, you mean to tell me this is so important to my child mm-hmm. that they're willing to sever this relationship? Mm-hmm. That's significant. Mm-hmm. And that causes some change and that causes some, they might not get it initially, nor did he. I said, you didn't get it initially either. It took you years mm-hmm. to get to the point where you felt comfortable enough being able to even go and advocate for it. And so he was like, wow, you're right. I said, so just don't be afraid to go and have those conversations mm-hmm. when your friends don't understand. I said, because there may be a lot of people that you know that think like you do, who don't know how to engage, and you didn't tell them. Mm-hmm. Your story matters. Stories are mattering. That's why. That's what we're missing, and that's why safety and psychological safety is important, because in psychological safety is important. I can tell you the real story, mm-hmm. and then you can hear the real challenge, and then you can say, oh, wow. But when there's a story, you know it's real mm-hmm. because I I won't make it's a story. It's not somebody else's story. It's not something I saw in the movie. Mm-hmm. It's not George Floyd. This is Dan Lester's story. This is what happened to me, okay. and you know me. You know um you know I'm a standing citizen. You know I have an education. You know I'm not an idiot. You know I do my job. I do my taxes. I am a contributing, excess acceptable and 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 even exceptional member of this society. And so if you know that that's me, and I'm telling you that this is real, mm-hmm. you've got to believe me because mm-hmm. that's what I said. That's what I'm expecting from you as my friends. If you if you're silent. I'm gonna have a problem, not because I don't believe you care about me. I think you do care about me, but do you care about me enough to speak when it's inconvenient for you? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. It, when there when there's a cost. Yes. Right. And I it's think easy to talk when you're online and everybody cares and you can just block it. I'm like, you stop blocking people. Yeah. I I didn't block you when you were talking reckless. Mm-hmm. 
I just I just said, hey, I'm gonna just pray for you and hope you come around the corner a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. and 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 work with you because if you're willing to engage, anybody who's willing to reasonably engage in this work, we've got to be gracious to let them engage, mm-hmm. and I'll pull you along as long as you're willing to do the work. Mm-hmm. That's what everybody will say. All the people in the field will say, if you bring me somebody that's willing to do the work, yeah. then I'll work with them. I said, are you sure about that? You telling me they just got to show up on time, got to work hard. That's all you and pass a drug test, right? Yeah. <laughs> so if they can pass a drug test, yeah. they can they can show up to work mm-hmm. and they can work hard. Mm-hmm. You will hire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm just, I'm, I'm gonna hold you to that mm-hmm. conversation. Mm-hmm. And 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 then I'm gonna tell the guy who I'm going to, or the person, the guy, the woman, the whoever else, the other person I'm trying to inter- induce, introduce to this situation, hey, you gotta be on time. <laughs> you gotta pass this drug test. Yeah. You gotta make sure you are working hard and doing everything within your power. Yeah. And I'm gonna tell them how terrible it's gonna be. <laughs> and so, but when you realize that that's the conversation that you have to have, mm-hmm. and you really, like you said, if you started a conversation like, hey, uh, you about to go deal with some people who are pieces of crap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that's not the way to start a job, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. you make money. Yeah. We make good money, so it's yeah. and so if other people, I think the thing is now everybody has to. If everybody starts taking and paying some of the cost, mm-hmm. right? If everybody pays a little bit of the cost, then the burden becomes much less because everybody's paying towards what the cost is to make a, a culture inclusive. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to do that. They've got to know that it's not going to be socially acceptable. That's the first problem. Say, hey man, what do you mean? Uh, you didn't know that women should have their own bathroom. You know, what do you mean <laughs> that it's not okay to call somebody a F-A-G? Yeah. What do you mean you didn't, you know, like you, you didn't know that? Like you didn't know that? Like, wow, it has to be some, there has to be some like cultural thing. And like, that's just not how we do it here, man. I understand that might be where you came from. Well, I think I to, in, yeah, in, in part of our education, uh, in a conversation we had, uh, we heard, well, you're coming from a place of ignorance. And when you're coming from a place of ignorance, uh, then then it's just a matter of education. But I think the, the big hurdle that you have to get through is recognizing that you are coming from a place of ignorance. And I think that pill is something that a lot of people, especially white folks, especially white men, do not want to swallow. They do not want to believe it. They don't want to think that they're fallible or they've made a mistake or they've gotten it wrong and they don't want to think that they're they're less and I think that it's that fear and that insecurity that's driving so much of this that we should all be comfortable coming from a place of ignorance on just about every topic in front of us because there's more that we don't know than we do so why is it such a big deal Socrates right he said the more I learn and realize the more I don't know anything mm-hmm. right you know not <laughs> You know, <laughs> the more knowledge you are, like, you know, I, mean, I don't know where you stand on this, but it's a wise thing anyway. The Bible has a saying and it says, you know, when you increase knowledge, you increase sorrow, right? Like, oh, you, I like the that. More know, the more you know, the worse it's going to be for you, right? You can be <laughs> oblivious and just not pay attention to it. This is the matrix have, red pill and blue pill. <laughs> yeah, it's really like, like, do you want to stay, do you want to stay blind? Because you can stay blind and life will be great for you. Yeah. If you take this pill. You will, it will be great. There's a cost, but you'll be better than you could ever imagine. You're like, really? Yeah, but a lot of people have been been sitting in places of comfort and convenience. Mm-hmm. And that's where the, 
you know, the peaceful protesting does. Even the riots are doing that, right? It's going to put you in a place where, wow, I can't believe. I said, you mean to tell me that, and this is, goes back to the conversation I had with DOT. You mean to tell me that people have, they're willing to go shut down. I'm going to stand on the highway and shut it down yep. and be willing to go to jail. Yeah. I'm going to climb up. This one guy climbed up the arch when it was being built. Two guys did, black dude and white dude. Only the black guy gets the credit, though. But uh, <laughs> it's interesting of that. The white guy's name is mentioned, but he didn't. He didn't. Re, he didn't suffer the challenges from the negative of it, right? Mm-hmm. These two dudes climbed up 125 feet. I'm afraid of heights. I can't go higher than 10 feet. <laughs> 125 <laughs> feet for four hours, just so minority contractors and minority workers can work on this project. And. It was monumental. I said, so people have to be willing to come onto the highway, risk their life, risk going to jail, risk a record. And that means that's just a record. That means I'm gonna have to claim it on my next job. You know, I'm willing to risk all of these things just so I can have a chance mm-hmm. at uh, uh, being being there. Why do people have to risk everything? Mm-hmm. And when we and when they do, we make the changes and they we hire the people and we hire the contractors, which means you had the ability to do it beforehand. Mm-hmm. So what could you have saved and how much could you have done mm-hmm. if they never had to shut it down, yeah. if they never had to do it? How much could we deal with if we said, hey, this is a common goal, let's work together and let's create it. Last thing I'll say is this, I gotta go in a couple yep. of minutes. Yep. I, got, I had this one guy tell me a really, really awesome thing and I it was terrible, but I thanked him for it because I didn't have this perspective before. I gave this talk um, and, it, and it was to a group of concrete executives. The guy comes up to me after this speech and I and it was just, it was okay, but it wasn't, it wasn't good. I just felt terrible. And he says to me, he said, Dan, I just want you to consider this. He says, I am a tall, middle-aged, white male executive with a full head of hair. He says, I have nothing to gain in this conversation, only to lose. So you've got to convince me as to why I should engage in this conversation. And I said, dude, thank you, because you were willing to say that foolish comment. I didn't say that, but you were willing <laughs> yeah. to say that, give me that perspective. I said, thank you so much for your perspective. I said, what I will challenge you on is this. If you are all those things, and you're at the top of the food chain, what do you have to lose? Mm-hmm. You looking at it from the position of what do you have to gain? Mm-hmm. But if you already at the top, you already control the dollars, you already control the cents, you already control all these things. What do you have to lose from engaging in these conversations? You only have money to gain. You only have profits to gain. You only got more contracts to gain. Wouldn't it be an interesting thing to have so much work that you couldn't do it? So much work that you had to double your company size. So much work that you got more and more profit and you could charge more because you were one of the only companies who were doing the thing the right way. And because they all wanted you, they had to pay the cost to get you. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great? He was like, man, I didn't think about it. I'm like, I just challenge you to think about that with your company and talk to your people. Now, I changed a whole lot about myself after Utah. 
Um, but this, the topic didn't change. The next time that was in a, October, that was in August. The next time I gave that talk was in December, and a guy was like, "Oh my gosh, that's the greatest thing ever." He's like, "How did you figure that?" I said, "Guess what? Let me tell you about Utah." Utah <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Utah taught me a lot, and I needed to have that. But all I was saying was that the guy told me that that's how he perceived it. He perceived it as as a white male. I have nothing to gain in this conversation. I only have something to lose because mm-hmm. I got a head of hair. I'm tall. I'm an executive. I'm good. I'm set. Everything for me is laid out. Mm-hmm. I'm on a track. I don't have to pay attention to this. Why should I? Why would I? And I'm just saying, hey, if I can't tell you why you would unless you really want to listen to this thing, but I can tell you about this money. I can tell you what the day is <laughs> and, and if you're a businessman, yeah. then you'll like this money. Yeah. And guess what? You make more money, I make more money, we all make more money. Mm-hmm. Who's gonna complain about that? Yeah. <laughs> love it. So, well, let's stay in touch. Yeah, please, yeah. I really enjoyed talking to you, Dan. I love what you all are doing. I think it's awesome. I'm gonna certainly look more into it because you guys are doing a great job. So thank you for having me. Thank you for the work you do. Um, what I saw from Jason, the other guy, I thought was awesome. So I really wanted to watch more of it. So it'd be awesome. Good. Appreciate the help. Awesome. Thank yeah, you thanks. so much. <laughs> you can find us. You can find us. At www.arcadewayfinding.com. You can find us on the critical the criticalpathpodcast.com. It's an alternate location for us, an alternate universe, if you will. <laughs> it's the same. <laughs> it just takes you to the podcast <laughs> section of Shh, They don't know that. So we're looking to hold more podcast episodes like this with CDOs. So if you are a a chief diversity officer and want to to join us, reach out and we'll be reaching out to you as well. Or even if you're not a chief diversity officer, if you work for a company, especially in construction, and you feel like uh, they're doing a really great job Mm -hmm. with diversity and inclusion and you have some interesting stuff to say about how we can carry that further through the construction industry. Yep. And we'd love to talk to you too. Uh, we are feeling very motivated right now mm-hmm. to uh, amplify the voices of people who look and sound and are different from kind of the people that we tend to see in construction. We're doing what we can to help the industry. So we're going to try to put out a few episodes that kind of address this from different angles. Uh, so we'd love to love to talk to you if you're interested. and. Watch for it because there will be upcoming cool episodes. Also, upcoming is the Star Wars episode. It is. You don't have any weird websites where you can find us? You can find us on Weird Star Wars episode is coming up next. No, because I'm not buying that domain. We already own, I don't know how many, it's like 26 (laughs) domains or something. 20 domains. I think I think it's over twenty. I will not buy any more domains. <laughs> so if any we have any any Star Wars nerds uh, who want to check out our next episode, trust me, it does have to do with construction. Or also, how about this? We have work to do now that is uh, researching tropes yep. for the Death Star in Star Wars. Yeah. So if our constant listeners know any cool Death Star tropes that you want to hear us address in our Death Star episode. Send it to us on LinkedIn. Send it to us an email. Send us a text message. A, a nanogram? Can you send a nanogram? Is I, that a thing the kids are doing? I don't think a nanogram is a thing, but they could send us a TikTok. Okay, send us a TikTok. Where they're like dancing to yeah. like pop music, and then their question is like written on the bottom of the screen. I'll, I'll take it. I would share that everywhere. We will watch for it. We'll watch for it. <laughs>